welcome to the How to Learn Anything course from Plato University, where you're going to learn the science-based tools of pro learners to accelerate your learning, remember more, and master any hard skills. These are the secret techniques they didn't tell you in school. If you're passionate about changing your life with learning, join us at Plato.University to get exclusive content with every lesson. I'm your learning guide, Brandon Stover, and let's get started. All right, we're to the next step of our learning plan, and this is to determine how we're going to learn. This is going to determine the tactics, resources, and ways that we'll engage in the learning process in order to learn what we decided we wanted to learn in the last lesson. I'm going to describe some ways that can help you to make this decision of how to learn, and then a few questions that you can start to ask yourself to further develop the exact process you will use to learn. Now, one thing you can do in order to determine how to learn is something called benchmarking. And this means finding the ways that other people have learned this skill or subject. And by determining this, it can help you design a default strategy as a starting point for your own learning process. So for example, if you're trying to learn a formal subject such as computer science, neurology, or history, one thing you can do is look at the curricula used in schools that teach that subject. Most major universities post what their syllabi are for each one of their courses. So you could actually go to that syllabi, see what learning resources they're using, seeing how they lay out the concept, and use that to chart your own path for what you are going to learn. Likewise, if you're trying to learn something major like computer science and you want something equivalent to a degree, you can go actually look at their course list and then go look at each one of those syllabi and see all the resources and the way that they start stacking concepts as a path for you to learn. Now, if you're trying to learn a non-academic subject or a professional skill, you can do some online searches for people who have previously learned that skill or interview an expert in that field about ways that they learn the skills that they have. An hour spent searching online for almost any skill should turn up courses, articles, and recommendations for how to learn it. Investing the time here can have incredible benefits because the quality of the materials you use can create orders of magnitudes different in how effective you are in learning that skill. Additionally, any popular skill also has online forums where those who have learned the skill previously can share their approaches. This doesn't mean you need to follow exactly in their footsteps, but it will prevent you from completely missing something important. Another way to help you determine how to learn a certain skill or concept is by using the analysis we created in the last lesson of concepts, facts, and procedures to lead how we're going to learn something. Once you've completed that exercise, you can underline the concepts, facts, and procedures that are going to be the most challenging for you to learn. This will give you a good idea of what the major learning bottlenecks are going to be, and you can start searching now for methods and resources to overcome those difficulties. For example, if you're learning something like medicine or neuroscience, it may require a lot of memorization. So some of the techniques that you might invest in is getting systems that help you with spaced repetition, a technique that we'll teach you later on. Or let's say you're learning some deep mathematics and you recognize that you have to have a real understanding of the concepts within mathematics to be able to effectively use them. So you might consider using the technique of explaining those concepts to other people to see if you really understand that. Again, teaching others, or in a specialized version, the Feynman technique, is something that we'll teach you later on. But knowing what the bottlenecks are will help to start thinking of ways of making your study time more efficient and effective, as well as avoiding tools or techniques that probably won't be too helpful for you to actually learn this skill. Additionally, you want to figure out how you're actually going to access and use this information. Because knowing how you access the information you're learning is just as important as knowing which information to learn. And the best way to think about this is how you'll be applying this skill in real life. 
This is a question that we started answering in the previous lessons when determining why we're learning something or what we're going to be learning. There's some sort of problem that you have that you sought out learning the skill in order to solve. So think about what parts of the skill you're going to need to know in order to solve that problem. This will help you answer how to access this information. And once you know how it's going to be applied, you can actually start designing techniques and practice sessions for yourself that mimic the environment or the way that you're going to apply the skill. Now let's talk about some more questions for you to answer for yourself that will help you develop your learning plan more and answer this question, how are we gonna learn this skill or concept? So the next question we wanna answer for ourselves are what are the primary learning resources that you're going to use to learn? This includes books, videos, classes, tutorials, guides, and even people who will serve as mentors, coaches, and peers. And this is where you decide what your starting point will be. For example, you could say, I'm going to read and complete the exercises in a book on Python programming for beginners. Or I'm going to practice the skill of drawing by making sketches. In some subjects, static materials will determine how you proceed. In others, they will be supports to back up your practice. In any case, you should identify, purchase, borrow, or enroll in any of these sources before you begin your learning project. The next question you want to answer for yourself is what techniques will you use to learn from these primary resources? Now this is covered much more in depth than the rest of this course, but you're going to need techniques for each one of the phases of our learning cycle. And those phases are exploring the topic, engaging with it, and then executing it and applying it in a new way. So some examples of techniques that could be used in each one of these phases. In the explore phase, you could be using techniques like interleaving and elaboration. In the engage phase, you might be doing deliberate practice and active recall. And in the execute phase, we might use something like the Feynman technique or teaching somebody else. Now, no matter what the concept or skill is, you're going to have to engage in some practice of that skill to really embed it into your long-term memory. So you need to think about the direct practice activities that you can use in order to learn this skill. Every skill and subject you're learning will be used somewhere eventually, even if it's as simple as using to learn something else. Thinking about how you might use the skill can enable you to start finding opportunities to practice as early as possible. If direct practice of the skill is impossible, you should nonetheless identify opportunities for practice that mimic the mental requirements of using that skill. The next question we want to answer for ourselves is who can help me learn this skill? Now these could be formal mentors, teachers, and coaches that have a real expertise or understanding of the skill and can help give you feedback while you're practicing it, show you what type of learning resources that you can use to begin learning. Or it could be a group of peers that are also going alongside you in the learning journey. This is why we have the learning community here at Plato University, to give you other people that can help you learn a skill, giving you feedback about your practice, or showing you new ways that maybe you didn't see before that can really help you in your progress towards learning a skill. But involving others also has an added benefit for learning. When you have a learning task that requires self-discipline, see if you can create a meaningful deadline or commitment by involving others. Say you're setting up your learning sessions for Saturday, but you will know it'll be hard to actually engage in that learning session. Find someone else who's planning to work on Saturday and agree to meet up and study together. Now, this doesn't have to be in person. You could actually do a Zoom call with another person and engage in your study together. This outside accountability will push you to get the work done because you want to keep your word to that person. The next question that we're going to identify an answer to for how we're learning is how will I measure and track my progress? And this takes us back to the previous lesson when we started setting goals for ourselves and setting SMART goals specifically in order to have something that we can track our progress towards actually achieving those goals. 
Remember to keep track of whether or not you're moving forward at the right pace. It's important to have a clear metric of success. And that's exactly what these goals provide for us. But when we're thinking about goals in the context of how we're going to engage in our learning process, we want to specifically focus in on our process goals. These are the actionable steps that we would take every single day to engage in our learning process. Now you might be thinking, how specific should my goals be and why? I'm going to play a short clip here by Andrew Huberman that goes into the science of setting and achieving goals, which speaks specifically to this idea of how specific a goal should be. So now let's talk about specificity of goals. We've all heard that the more specific a goal is and the more specific we are about when and how we are going to execute that goal, the higher probability that we will actually achieve that goal. And indeed that's the case, but there's an additional feature that's not often discussed that is vitally important. And in fact, maybe more important than having a specific time of day or a specific endpoint in mind. There's a really nice study that was done looking at recycling. And this is uh, something that a number of groups, businesses, households, and individuals are trying to do more of. They're trying to lower carbon footprint or contribute to um, the world in some general way by throwing away fewer things that could potentially be recycled. So this has been studied in the context of the work environment where a business decides and lets everybody know that there's going to be a greater effort toward recycling cans or bottles or bottles and cans, et cetera. And then the way these studies were done is that the janitorial staff was swapped out temporarily for researchers that actually measured the number of recyclable items that showed up in the trash and not in the recycle as a function of the total amount of trash. Why did I say as a function of the total amount of trash? Well, it's a way of controlling for um, differences in beverage consumption from one week to the next. Anyway, the point is they were able to very carefully measure how much people are recycling before and after this call to action to recycle more. And what they found was if they said, we are going to try and recycle more, try not to put cans and bottles in the trash. There of course was an improvement in recycling, but it was pretty modest. Whereas when there was a very concrete plan and everyone knew what that concrete plan was, for instance, to place all bottles and cans into the recycle, not the trash, or to limit the amount of trash by 50% or to eliminate all recyclable items from the trash. So when they made it very concrete, exactly what the action steps were, there was a remarkable, I mean, close to a hundredfold or more improvement in recycling behavior that lasted many months after this call to action was made. The takeaway from this is quite straightforward. It means that having a concrete plan is essential. You can't just say, I'm going to become a better recycler, or I'm going to do things that are better for the environment, or I'm going to become more physically fit. It has to be a specific set of action steps that get right down to details about what success would look like. I've heard this before described as what does right look like? What is the actual outcome that one would like to achieve in terms of action steps? So not necessarily feeling states. It wasn't that they all sat around and said, how great we're all going to feel about ourselves in the world when we accomplish this goal. It was very concrete statements, very concrete plans about action steps that would deliver one to one's goal. Somewhat straightforward and, and intuitive, but nonetheless worthwhile. It, it What it suggests is that for all of us, if we have certain goals that we want to achieve, we need to be exquisitely detailed about what the action steps are that we're going to take and to constantly update those action steps so that we have a higher probability of meeting those action steps. Some of you may be asking, how often should one 
assess progress. Well, that of course will depend on the given goal that you're trying to pursue. But in the studies that I've been referring to here, the assessment of progress and the updating of concrete plans was done weekly. So it seems like weekly is a good starting place to address how well one performed in the previous week. And then based on that performance to update the action plan for the upcoming week. So weekly seems like a good solid rule of thumb for setting particular action goals and assessing one's progress towards the immediate and longer term goals. Now, I'll link to the rest of Andrew Huberman's talk about the science of setting and achieving goals. But you can see here from the research study, the more concrete, the better. Now, let's answer our final question in determining how we're going to learn something. And this is, what will you do if things don't go to plan? Now, when we set goals about what we're going to learn, you may have set some pretty ambitious challenges for yourself. And in a perfect world, you would achieve all of those. But the higher you shoot, the more likelihood there is of failure. And of course, all of us make mistakes and slip up sometimes. No matter how positive you are, nothing is more frustrating than watching your best laid plans fall apart. And when that happens, you may have a tendency to spiral downward, beat up on yourself and give up altogether. That's why the best learners have a backup plan for occasional failures in their learning. What exactly are you going to do if you fall off the bandwagon and get stuck on a particular subject? How are you going to get back on track and prevent one little slip up from derailing you and causing you to give up completely? Maybe this means booking an extra session with your private tutor, or you make up time that you lost during a learning session on the weekend. If you have a specific plan in place ready for when this is going to happen, you'll minimize the damage and ensure that you waste as little time as possible. Now the next two lessons are going to cover scheduling when to learn and creating in the optimal learning environment for yourself, which both fit into how we would be learning. But we're going to go more in depth into each of these because they're extremely important to laying out your learning plan. But for your activity today, I want you to go back over the questions that we started asking ourselves during this lesson and determine which tactics, which resources, what people, and what kind of goals you're setting for yourself in order to start learning out how you're going to learn the subject or skill that you're interested in. Thank you for taking the How to Learn Anything course. To get everything you need to become a pro learner, including advanced resources, personal coaching, and a community of passionate learners just like you, then visit plato.university slash courses slash learning and join us for free. Again, that's plato.university slash courses slash learning. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at plato.university.